0: Alright, good morning again church, and I I hope if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you'll begin making your way to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that's where we're heading. We've been in chapter 7 for a couple of weeks now, and uh, I anticipate, Lord willing, to wrap up chapter 7 this morning, that's my ambition, it might be a lofty one. But I, I trust the Lord would have us walk through this uh, as one unit, as uh, one textual unit. I think very much verses 25 through the end of the chapter flow together. And so we'll try and keep those things together. As you make your way there, I'll just remind you a little bit of what we've seen thus far in chapter 7. Paul here has, has shifted away from more of a rebuke, exhortation. And he's giving a lot of godly counsel and wisdom. And in particular with regards to marriage singleness, to widows, to widowers. He, he's speaking uh, very much to the most close, intimate relationships that we have. And as we move back into to the latter half of this text, the latter half of chapter 7, he's going to speak in particular to uh, singles and, and those that are also engaged. So they're moving towards marriage. Uh, he's going to have some words of encouragement and what he says as an opinion, okay? So there's places in the Bible, there's a lot of places that are thus says the Lord, commandments. And then here, what Paul is saying, there's also places that are godly wisdom and opinions. And so Paul's going to clarify that. He says that as we begin in verse 25, I give an opinion, okay? Now that said, sometimes we are quick to dismiss opinions, Remember that this is coming from Paul, and he reminds us. I, I love this about Paul. He says, hey, I, I'm trustworthy here. He, he ends the chapter by saying also, hey, I've got, the, I've got the Spirit of the Lord here. So an opinion from Paul carries a little more weight than maybe the guy behind the counter at the potteria, you know? Maybe a little more weight than the, the individual doing your hair this week, okay? So th- this is weighty. We ought not so quickly dismiss what Paul has to say here, even though it may go against what we, uh, what we think or what we would desire, but again, it is an opinion, okay, much of this, and so just to say that as we begin to jump in, uh, before we get too far, let me just go ahead and, and pray, I sense the need for that, and uh, we won't read the text in full to start, uh, it's a little bit more lengthy, so we'll go through it a little at a time as we walk through the text, but let me pray for us. Father, again, I thank you for this morning, Lord, that you've given us. You give us life and breath and all things. And Lord, as I so often say, we could be 10,000 other places this morning. And by your grace, you've brought us here in this moment. And so, Father, I, I just trust that you have something for us. I trust that we're here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Lord, by your design, by your plan. And Lord, I I pray that as we begin to walk through this text, as we linger in it this morning, Father, I pray that you might do what only you can do. Lord, that you would give eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand. Lord, I can't do that. Seth Barkley can't do that. You do that. You do that work. And Lord, I pray that I might be found faithful. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, be made much of. May Christ be exalted. May his church be encouraged. And may the kingdom be expanded through this effort today. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church. So let's go ahead and just jump into this. Picking up in verse 25 of chapter 7. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord. Now the language here, when he says virgins, he, he that's a gender-neutral term. So he's speaking both to men, to women. The point is that he's speaking to singles in particular. He says, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. So again, <clears throat> I have no command, but this is my humble opinion coming from Paul as he's going to share this with the church there in Corinth. He says, I think that, verse 26... I think that, then that it is good, in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, remember this, remaining as you are, is very much the principal statement that he had expressed last week. We saw it last week in the text preceding this. He said it three times, remain as you are. Now, there in that context, he was speaking of remaining in The marriage that you're in, the situation you're in, the vocation that you're in, that you don't have to change in order to grow in Christ-likeness and godliness. You don't need to suddenly get married in order to become more godly. You don't have to become single in order to become more godly. So he's exhorted the church in that, and now he's once again reaffirming that statement. But he has a different qualifier here. Look what he says. He says, in view of this present distress. Now what does he mean there? That's an odd term, right? This present distress. I, I think there's two ways in which we could understand this. And I, I don't think they're contradictory. I, I think they can both work together and, and be true in this instance. The first is this. The present distress being, potentially, what's going on here in the church at Corinth? The fact that there are some who are really struggling, they're really wrestling with being single, being married. Can I marry? Can I not? A- am I going to sin in this? What, what what does this look like? They're really wrestling with this and trying to understand this newfound faith in Christ, following Him in obedience, and how does this play out in In our relationships. They're dealing with that. So some of them have anxiety about this. In fact, you go just a little further down. Look at verse 27 with me. He says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Now he's speaking here. Your translation may say uh, betrothed. Are you engaged? That's what he's saying here. Are you engaged currently? You're not married yet, but you're about to be. Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry... You've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. He's saying, don't, don't stress over this. You're not in sin if you've gotten married. You're not in sin if you stay single. So there's this distress among those in Corinth, and Paul's trying to encourage them, don't make this choice, don't, don't proceed out of anxiety. It's okay to remain as you are. So that's, that's one potential meaning of This present distress. And I think that's probably true. I think that's present here. There's also a bit of an eschatological flavor in this. This present distress. And I think that's true because if you go down just a couple more verses, verse 29, he says, The time has been shortened. That's very much eschatological language. Speaking of the return of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. And when we consider the return of the Lord Jesus, we know scripturally that the time immediately preceding Christ's return, circumstances will be dire, times will be difficult, there will be distress. It it will be hard. Now, what Paul is not saying, let me say this: he's not saying, because Jesus is coming back soon, therefore don't get married. Okay, that's not what he means. All right? he, he's not saying, because Jesus is coming back, just don't do anything. In fact, he refutes that to the Thessalonians. Remember over in Thessalonians, there were some that when they found out Jesus was coming back soon, they quit their jobs. They just decided, hey, I'm going to kick back and wait on Jesus. Sounds good. Got enough money in the bank account. And Paul says what? You don't work, you don't eat. So continue doing what you're doing, right? What, what he means to say here is because of this current distress, the distress that would be coming in the return of the Lord Jesus, don't add additional stresses. There's no need to do so. Now, where is that coming from? Look with me at the end of verse 28. He says, Yet such will have trouble in this life. That he's speaking to those who are married. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. So what Paul's saying is, eschatologically, the return of Jesus, there will be increased distress and hardships. There's no need to lay additional hardships on yourself. That's that's what he's saying. Now that sounds weird, right? You hear that and you're married or you want to get married and you say, man, that's kind of a downer, Paul. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) That's not very encouraging here. Remember, this is an opinion. It also does not go against the fact that Paul had said what earlier in the chapter? Marriage is a gift from God. Singleness is a gift from God. So we have to acknowledge those things that Paul affirmed earlier. So he's not going against that, okay? Those things are still true. But what I think Paul is trying to do, now he's very open and honest here. He said, I want you to be as I am. He's advocating for singleness, right? So, so that's clear, he, and it's okay, he can do that. But I think what Paul's doing here is he says, you'll have trouble in this life and I'm trying to spare you. I think what Paul's trying to get at is there are some, I've met individuals, I've met couples, that as they move towards marriage, they are totally oblivious to the potential challenges that marriage holds. They think everything is going to be glorious all the time, there's never going to be an argument, there's never going to be a fight, they're, they're never going to have stress, everything is going to be grand, they're always going to have the same opinions and convictions, and, and, and they don't really think this out. I think Paul is very much a, a reasonable, rational person. I, I think you see that over in his um, evangelism in the book of Acts, when it says he reasoned with them in the synagogues daily. I think Paul's the kind of guy that had like a plus delta chart in his office and did like, you know, pros and cons of things and mapped things out. I think that's his personality. Okay? I think he's being reasonable. He's he's simply saying, hey, you get two people together, though they are sanctified, being sanctified, they're believers, they're following Jesus, you get in this close, intimate relationship, there's still going to be conflict. And... And we need to realize that. That's just being real. It's just being a realist about the situation. I don't know if I should say this. It just came to mind. I trust it, it that maybe it's from the Lord. You, you, you need to realize that after you get married... I don't know if I should say this. My wife's not even here. She's, we have a sick child. I can say it because it's true. You, you realize after you get married that suddenly the way that you've driven for the past 25 years of your life is incorrect. There, there's new ways that you should drive and, and things you should and shouldn't do. I can say that because probably 80% of our marital problems come from driving episodes, okay? So maybe you can relate to that. She would agree with that. She knows. And um, all right, I'm off track now. Um, let's keep moving here. Let's keep moving. What is Paul saying here? Again, I think he's just trying to be real. He wants people to to really think through this. And look what he goes on to say in verse 32. We're going to skip down. We'll come back to 29 and following here in just a moment. He says, but I want you to be free from concern. Now that is a huge statement from Paul. People have notoriously, over the past decades in particular, in in our day and age, taken much of what Paul says here and misrepresented it, misapplied it, mischaracterized Paul. And, and here's what we need to see. Paul's pastoral concern for the church here and for us as well. What, what is he trying to convey all this under? What, what is his motivation? I want you to be free from concern. I don't want you to have anxieties. He even goes down to say at the end of verse 35 to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That, that's the banner under which he's saying all of this. It's a pastoral heart of, I just want you to be free from concern. I want you to have devotion to the Lord that is undistracted. Now look what he says here in verse 32 and following. He says, One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. How he may please the Lord but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy, holy both in, excuse me, in body and spirit, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world how she may please her husband. Now, notice he does very much what he's done all throughout this text. He speaks both to the man and to the woman, to the husband and the wife. But again, Paul's just being real here. He's saying that in marriage, there needs to be an acknowledgement in pursuing marriage that there's additional responsibility. Now, don't mishear me. It's not as though those who are single don't have responsibility. They certainly do. But in marriage, there's an additional responsibility because now you're also responsible to your spouse. So, there's additional concern, additional responsibility that has to be understood, that has to be recognized. And again, I think Paul is just pointing this out. Just, just to be clear, that there is the potential for divided affections, that your heart might be divided. And, and I, can, I can relate to, to what Paul's saying here in my, in my experience in, in my youth as I was younger. Uh, I can think back to. I was in college. I was a college senior. And uh, at that point, the skateboard ministry that I was a part of was, was being birthed. It was pretty new still, but God was blessing it and growing it. And I would eventually go full-time with the skate ministry uh, once I graduated college. But I was in a relationship with a young lady and and uh, we'd been dating for a little while. And, and I remember as I was pursuing so much with the skate ministry and also a part of this dating relationship, I I remember sensing this division of affections where it felt like I I just had to flip from one to the other. And and, and I remember reading this text and and sensing this very thing. And eventually that relationship ended. We we decided to end things. And, and, And in part because of this very thing I sense this division. Now, now, you may hear me say this and say, well, Seth, we know you're married with three kids. So, how do you reconcile that? Right? Understanding this. Look with me here in verse 35. It says, this I say for your own benefit. Not to put a restraint upon you. He's not doing this to restrain you, to put a restraint, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Again, that's his ambition. Not as a restraint, but to promote what is appropriate. Back to my experience, a couple years later, I was single, had moved to Turkey, was living there, had been there for a little while, and living with a couple other guys, uh, single guys. We had a two-bedroom apartment And uh, I remember walking down the street one day, there in Istanbul. And I remember the conversation I was having with the Lord. And I remember thinking through it and just saying, you know, Lord, if this is what you have for me, if this is the context that you would have me be in, whether it be lifelong or for an extended season, I'd really like to share this with somebody. I'd really like a helpmate to walk alongside in this. I'd gotten to a place where the best way of securing an undistracted devotion to the Lord was in marriage. Formerly, that was in singleness for me, it then became marriage. I think what Paul is pressing here, what he wants us to ask, is this question Which of these two helps to secure the most undistracted devotion to the Lord? Are we asking that question? As a single, it it might be for some, that singleness is the best way to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. And that's how you need to walk. For others, it might be in marriage. That marriage is the best way for you to be undistracted in your devotion. Both of those are real possibilities. And I think, again, what Paul wants us to do is ask that question. There are... A myriad of believers that move into marriage every year and they never ask this question. Will this help me be undistracted in my devotion to the Lord? And I just think he simply wants us to ask that. I know we've got a lot of singles here and and I just want to encourage you to ask that question. Maybe you're moving towards marriage. Maybe you're in a relationship that's heading that direction ask that question. Now, with that understanding, let's jump back up to verse 29, okay? Because I think that's helpful in in understanding what he says here. Look with me in verse 29. He says, but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. So that's that eschatological flavor there, right? Days are short, Jesus is coming back. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. That's a weird statement, Paul. What do you mean? Let's keep going and then we'll come back. He says, and those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Paul, whatever do you mean? We know that Paul advocates for marriage. He understands it as being lifelong. He doesn't advocate for divorce. So, what does he mean when he says, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none? What's he saying? Consider what he said in verse 35. That however we proceed in marriage or in singleness, it ought to be to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's the manner in which we should live. In devotion. Not distracted. And I think that's what he means here as he's saying, those who have wives, those who are married the manner in which you live should be undistracted as those who have no other competing affections. But let me say it this way. I think what Paul means to say through this is don't allow circumstances, whatever those circumstances may be in your life. Because look, he, he unpacks what? He also says weeping, rejoicing, all these things, making use of the world. Don't allow circumstance to determine or dictate your devotion. Let me say that again. Don't allow circumstances to dictate or determine your devotion. Paul wants you to be unhindered and undistracted in your devotion to the Lord. Let's keep moving. As we continue in this text... Look with me down to verse 36. That's where we're going to pick up. Now, verses 36 through 38 are odd. I've said that a couple times in this text. But it's odd in that there's, there's multiple ways that this text can be translated. And the reason for that is because some of the language is ambiguous. Some of the terms are ambiguous, and they can mean multiple things. And so if I were to read this out of the New American Standard, what I often preach out of, it, it would read as though Paul was speaking towards a man who is about to give his daughter in marriage. Okay? If we read this out of the ESV or another version, it, it seems to read as though it is speaking towards a couple that's engaged. Now again, both of those grammatically can be true. Grammatically in the Greek, both things can happen. So what do we do? We need to ask ourselves contextually, what makes the most sense? Well, Paul had begun this section by speaking to who? Those who are engaged, right? To the couple that's betrothed. And so I think that's where he's heading with this as he continues in verse 36. I'm going to read this is out of the new numer- or excuse me, out of the uh, ESV, and so I'm changing translations here for this. It says if anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, or those, the one that he's engaged to. If his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry; it is not sin. Now, I think that's very much in keeping with what Paul had said earlier in chapter seven, speaking to those who get married. As he said in verse nine, he says, "Let them marry, for it's better for a man to marry than to burn with passion." So again, he's affirming that it's okay to get married. You can do that. There is no sin in that. But whoever is firmly, this is verse 37, whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So essentially what he's saying, maybe he comes to the decision not to get married. The one who chooses to get married, the one who chooses not to. He says in verse 38, so the one who marries his betrothed does well. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to get married. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Can Paul say that? He does. And he says it without undermining the reality of goodness of marriage. Both of those things are true and right and good. I want you to hear that, alright? And I think all of this comes under the banner once again of, Paul's pastoral ambition that I want you to be free from concern. I want you to be free from anxiety. Be real with yourself to ask those kind of questions, make those kind of assessments, and ask yourself what is going to help secure the most undistracted devotion to the Lord in your life? Is it through marriage? Is it through singleness? And maybe there's a season in your life where it is singleness, and maybe the Lord changes that down the road, and that's okay. These things are good. Now, as Paul concludes, he wraps things up in verse 39 and 40 by, again, just summarizing some things that he said and reaffirming marriage, saying a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. And if her husband is dead, she is free to marry, excuse me, uh, free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So, again, the expectation is that marriage is for life. And after one passes away, one spouse, they're free to remarry, as long as it's in the Lord. But again, Paul ends with his opinion. And notice, he starts and ends with this. He wants you to know, this is his opinion. But in my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. I love Paul. He just puts those things in there, you know. This is my opinion, but I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Just saying, you know, like... So church, what do we do with texts like this? Well, again, to those that are maybe considering marriage, you're considering a life of singleness, ask the question. What is going to help secure the most undistracted devotion to the Lord in my life? Be honest in that. Make an honest assessment. And and maybe maybe you're here this morning, maybe you you are married. And you never asked this question. And and you've struggled in the years since getting married. What does Paul say? He says, remain as you are. But what do we also know? That, That God can redeem that situation. Maybe you got into a situation you shouldn't have, and maybe you should have asked these kind of questions, and you didn't. But know that God loves you, and He can interact with you, call you, redeem you as you are, where you are. So just because you're in a situation that may not be ideal does not mean that God can't move. He can redeem that. And so I just want to encourage you wherever you are. God wants to move in your life, draw you to himself to increase your devotion. And that's just my ambition for all of us this morning. That wherever you are, you might resolve today to be more wholly devoted to the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're a guest with us. Maybe you're watching online for the first time and, and, and you don't know anything about this. You're hearing all this for the first time and you're saying, this is weird. But you say, you know, I, I'd like to know more about this Jesus. I'd like to know more about this faith that causes people to act differently and have different views on things. And I want to know more. I just want to encourage you. If you have some questions about this, come talk to me. We're going to have some people outside available to pray with you. Come talk to one of them. Maybe you're watching online. Send us a message or an email. We'd love to respond. We'd love to connect with you. And maybe you've determined this morning, you've sensed a stirring in your heart that you need to follow the Lord Jesus. You've never had a devotion towards Him, and you sense that need this morning. And I just want to encourage you, take that step of faith. Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Come be a part of the family. Don't wait on that. You can follow him this morning. I'm going to pray, and as I do that, uh, I think our our worship team is going to come up, and I'll be available to pray with you outside. I know there's going to be some others. You be obedient to what God's asking you to do this morning, okay? Let me go ahead and pray. Father, again, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is always true and relevant. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, as, as we enter into this time of really invitation, a time of reflection and inspection, I pray that we'd do that. I pray we'd make the honest, honest assessments about our hearts. And Lord, that, that you would expose things in our lives and in our hearts that maybe we can't see. Maybe we've deceived ourselves. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us in that, to see clearly, Lord, that you we could then move towards, we could ask for, by Your Spirit, repentance and redemption. And Lord, that You might redeem, make fresh and new and right. So Father, we love You. We thank You again for this opportunity. That's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Stand.